Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Justin, the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B as in boy, I-double-Z-A-double-R-O. And you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Justin, the Food Entrepreneur's. And if you're interested in being on the show, you can reach out to me at Justin at thefoodentrepreneurs.com. And today, um, we have Oats Overnight, Brian Tate, the founder and owner. Uh, they are from Phoenix, Arizona. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing well, Justin. How are you? I'm doing excellent. Thank you. And thank you guys for wanting to be on the show and coming on and reaching out. I think it's awesome. Yeah, thanks for having us. So, Brian, tell me a little bit about your background and, and sort of your story and how you got to uh, becoming a food entrepreneur. Yeah, it's quite, it's quite a long one. Uh, I grew up in Michigan, and I played poker professionally for around 12 years. Uh, that took me out west. Um, I moved to Arizona and then Los Angeles. Uh, Oats Overnight really came about uh, while I was kind of crafting uh, – breakfast for my daily uh, fitness routine. Um, I'm sure most people are familiar with overnight oats now, uh, mason jar and spoon. It's more of a kind of a crafty type preparation where you soak oats in milk and add fruit and whatever else you'd like. I was making it with proteins, like a scoop of protein and uh, different extras like maca root for energy and flax and chia seeds. Um, and I was making this nightly. Um, so it was ready to go in the morning. My, my schedule is quite, uh, quite atypical. I'd be waking up Sometimes at 3 a.m., sometimes at you know 8 p.m. It was all over the place. So I needed a really a healthy breakfast ready to go. Um, I did this for about a year, and uh, so I'm not really a grocery shopper personally. So when I'd run out of oats or run out of protein or run out of something, um, I you know would kind of be stuck in a Starbucks drive-through for you know a week at a time. And um, yeah, I looked for look for a prepackaged version, something a little more streamlined, uh, so I didn't have to shop for all the different ingredients and prep it nightly. And I found there was none. Um, so at that time, you know, kind of had that spark that most entrepreneurs do. And, um, yeah, I, I set out to make a, make a version that hasn't been created yet. Uh, that's how Oats Overnight was born. And so let's talk about this. I mean, you, you decide to start a food company. I mean, do you have a food background? I do not. Um, I've always kind of liked to cook and, you know, create, you know, special uh, breakfasts dinners, whatever, with just the groceries that are in my cupboard. But I've never, never had any experience professionally or in business with food. Um, so yeah, it was quite a learning process, uh, a lot of Google, <laughs> a lot of trial and error. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been a wild ride, but it's been a good one. And, and so I love this because it's not, it's atypical for someone, I mean, to get into food that normally doesn't have a food background or worked in a restaurant first or, or have a family recipe that that's something happened. This sort of came out of working out or, or your routine. So, I mean, do you do, I mean, I do CrossFit, so that's my workout thing that, that keeps me balanced. So what is it that you were working out doing that created sort of this brainchild? Yeah, I think uh, my, my workout routine was, was really all over the place. Um, it was consistent in time. I got to work out five to six days a week. Uh, it's really important to do when you're sitting at a chair, you know, 12 hours a day, which, you know, most people are sitting for their job. Uh, so I found it really crucial um, for physical and mental reasons to, to work out consistently. But I would, I'd be, the, you know, I'd just go into the gym and, and, you know, I'd rotate through different exercises. I'd, you know, sometimes do programs. I was doing CrossFit for a little while. Um, you know, some yoga, just, just really mixing it up. Um, but of course the nutritional component is always key to that routine, whatever it is. 
And did you, um, okay, so you, you decided to do this. So what, so let's really baby step this. How do you, um, how did you find a place to produce this? Is it something you bought the machine you started producing in your garage? I mean, let's, I want to give the audience sort of an idea of how you took this idea from, okay, here's my idea. Here's the light bulb to, to actually producing it and packaging it. Yeah, uh, it, it was, you know, again, a lot of research. Um, being that I didn't have a food background, we immediately reached out to consultants um, who could kind of advise us, you know, of course, on the regulatory side. Um, you know, it's very important uh, for safety reasons um, and a lot of reasons really to be, you know, totally uh, compliant with, with FDA and, and food, um, you know, regulatory bodies. Um, so, you know, we invested pretty heavily into uh, consultants and, you know, getting everything together. Um, our runs at the time just started out as a kind of a side project, I guess. I, I wasn't ever expecting to give up poker full time. Uh, it was quite a, quite a good lifestyle and we put a lot of work in, um, over that 12 year period, uh, to get to where I was. Uh, but, you know, it started as a side project, I guess maybe a little naive because <laughs> looking back on it, uh, it'd be quite silly to think you could part time run a food business. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, we, we had two small, our, our anticipated runs were too small for co-packers. And um, also it was quite difficult to do this uh, in a standard co-packing sense. So we looked to get a facility um, in Arizona and, you know, of course, um, you know, register with the FDA and, and did all the different uh, necessary steps to, to begin producing and hired a small staff to start out. So you actually, you didn't actually go to a co-packer. You actually decided that I want to do this. I want to control the process. I want to produce it all myself. Yes. Uh, I think um, given that the product is quite unique uh, in nature, it's not just a, just a powder meal where you can just blend it up and drop it in a single drop. It's not, it's not, it's not simple like that. Um, it's very, you know, the textures are different, very diverse, and it makes for a whole food experience that you can eat out of the bottle. Um, which, you know, we can get into a little more. Um, but yeah, it, it was quite unique in that sense. So we had to develop a proprietary line um, to, to actually produce this and invested quite a bit of time and a little bit of money into making that work. Okay, so I guess my, my next question then would be, and I'm going to go back to a different question, but I think this one's the first one I want to ask, which is, I mean, so how then you've decided you're going to start this company. Obviously, you're putting in a boatload of capital because you've got to hire employees. You've got to train them. You've got to buy the equipment. You've got to set up the building. And then you've got to find a market for it. So, I mean, how did you guys go about finding that market? I mean, you mentioned the consultants and helping you with all that. But how did you take it to market from there? You know, I think uh, backing up a little bit, it was pretty interesting, the timeline, because we invested heavily into the brand before really even understanding, um, you know, how we were going to make this happen, which is really looking back on it a little crazy. Uh, we, you know, we kind of learned as we go, we, as we went. And, you know, we already had a brand packaging um, very similar to how it is today, even after three years. Um, you know, we had that brand developed, um, the rest of in my kitchen. Um, using, you know, the ingredients that we found suppliers for. We did all of that groundwork before we really knew how we were going to put this together in a, you know, in a, in a sense that could scale. Um, so that's, that's the first part. I think we kind of dove in without really understanding the full nature of it. Um, that said, you know, we were confident in the product and very excited about, 
you know, some of the, some of the numbers that we were seeing, um, the amount of people that were enjoying overnight oats and, you know, the bigger picture of cereal kind of being on its way out and really dying in America as consumers get more and more aware of what they're, what they're eating. Um, that, that was really the first step. Um, but once, once we, so Brian, I mean, what you're saying is that you basically, you built the brand and the brand identity. I don't know if you use social media or what, but before you ever really launched the product and, and produced it, you were building this brand, which I love the name, by the way, Oats Overnight. It's pretty self-explanatory and no one else is using anything by that name. So I'm going to sidetrack a little bit before we finalize the question I asked in that, I mean, you came up with this name, you started marketing it. So, I mean, were you pushing it on social media? Yeah, our go-to-market go to plan was, you know, we, we intended to be direct-to-consumer. Um, you know, we set up a Shopify store, and the goal was to do Facebook, Instagram ads uh, initially to gain traction. Um, we don't, I don't personally, um, you know, I'm not an influencer by any means and, you know, don't have a big following, but we have a, we have a big network of family and friends that kind of shot it out. And um, I remember the first... Uh, the first day we launched, we had no idea <laughs> how many people would be ordering this. This was in August 2016, and we were we were super excited to see a couple orders come through. Uh, they were my friend, uh, my brother's friends from med school, <laughs> who, who ordered it. But it it seemed to be the uh, it meant the world for sure seeing those orders come through. Yeah, and um, as as we get to the original question, but something that just occurred to me is something you said, which is one is the cereal world that we're seeing in food and how that's starting to shrink. Uh, less and less people are eating cereal and they're starting to go more to the outside of the grocery store and it's less popular in the homes. Um, but the thing that I find interesting is how convenient your product is. I mean, that's the main thing, right? Is it's, it's easy. It's easy to pack. I mean, it's easy to pack with you. It's easy to take with you. It's easy to take on the go, whether you're walking to work or you're jumping in a car or mixing it in a shaker bottle. I mean, the idea there really is going from mason jar to package and then taking it along with you. And I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, exactly. And I think, um, you know, cereal is convenient in a sense that you can pour the milk and you can dump the cereal in. Uh, but you know, everybody knows now how to read a nutritional label, of course, and the sugars are high and, you know, the, a lot, a lot of ingredients that you don't necessarily want to eat in there. Um, and it's just, it's not filling. I think the biggest issue that a lot of, uh, social Americans are facing is, you know, they'll, they'll eat something quick, maybe even like a bagel in the morning, but you know, at 10 AM you're starving and you know, what do people do? They grab a Snickers from the vending machine or a bag of chips or whatever. And you know, that's really where you know, ultimately people stray from their intended goals is, you know, when you're hungry, you grab a snack and not a whole lot to do there. This, this product is quite large. The serving size is around 80 grams, which, you know, is quite a bit larger than the average 50 gram, you know, meals you see. Uh, we include a lot of, a lot of really good ingredients in that keep you full, you know, protein digest slowly. And, um, you know, you really stay full until lunch. Well, and I want to touch on that just uh, being in food myself, particularly in health food is that, um, protein, we as uh, particularly as Americans, but as a whole, we never eat enough protein in a day. I mean, it's one of the hardest things I find to eat enough protein as I track, you know, how much food I eat. I can blow my carbs out of the water, no problem. And, and I actually do <laughs> yeah, pretty well with the vegetables and consuming it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But the carbs for me, 
I, I mean, the proteins for me is it's hard. So having something like this that ha that's easy and that goes with you and has the protein already in it is pretty amazing. And I definitely want to talk about that more, but I want to ask this question, which is, so you launched on social media. That's really how you brought it to market. So you didn't really go to any conferences or anything like that. You basically produced the product, launched a Shopify website, and then, you know, the rest is history, as they would say. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, of course, you know, we started out on Facebook, we started out spending, you know, $50 a day in ads. And, um, you know, we got some early traction and, you know, we, we really, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're almost as much a digital marketing company as we are a product company. Um, we, we really focus, focus heavily on both of those. Um, but yeah, you know, it really was social media. Uh, most, again, mostly paid ads, uh, not as much organic to start. Um, but you know, now that we have a following and, you know, quite a, quite a tribe built that loves this product needs it daily. You know, there's a lot of that marketing that just spreads, um, in a viral sense through the communities. And so I want to pause right there just because we're, we're on the topic, but how can people find you online and, uh, what are your social media handles? Yeah. Uh, you can find us online at oats overnight.com. That's O A T S O V E R N I G H T.com. Um, and our social media is at oats overnight on Instagram and facebook.com slash oats overnight. Okay, perfect. Because I, I want to make sure that the audience as they're listening, hopefully not doing this while they're driving, but go to your website and just sort of see your website, see what you guys have built here, um, and really start to look at the products as we talk about it and the packaging and what it means and how to order it. So, I mean, I really want to dive into this. So how from there, I mean, what were your first flavors that you offered? Yeah, so we, we started out, um, and, and this is actually a pretty interesting, uh, too. I, you know, living in L.A. at the time, I really, really wanted to release a plant-based, uh, naturally sweetened product. Um, you know, that was just kind of the goal there. Uh, we started out, um, it was very, very, very difficult to work with, you know, brown rice proteins and pea proteins, um, especially with no real experience on how to source quality, um, quality pea proteins, or I guess, I guess good tasting pea proteins. Um, so we, we went with whey, uh, which was a big decision to start. Um, uh, but the whey protein is easier to work with. And, you know, we also found that, um, buying like, you know, like a chocolate protein from a manufacturer didn't taste well at all. Um, uh, just like we found it was difficult to find over the counter proteins that you could scoop into your oats and taste well. So we set out to build our own protein, uh, flavors from the ground up, which that's another place that really, you know, ultimately sets us apart because we have that full, um, you know, ability to really make these flavors quite unique. Uh, we started out with green apple cinnamon, uh, strawberries and cream, and chocolate peanut butter banana, uh, which are three of the more more basic flavors, but they're, we call them our classic flavors. Um, you know, and from there, we've, we've expanded into much more creative flavors like maple pancakes and blueberry cobbler, things like that. Yeah, I think it's awesome. And I love the names and I love the the product. I'm looking forward to trying. I have not tried it yet. It's probably something I should have done before we got on here, but I like the, um, oh, we got to get to some. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm very excited because one of the things I've noticed is it's actually you're using, and I don't know if it's all the items. I've only clicked on a few of the nutritional labels as I was preparing, but it's actually gluten-free, uh, oats. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, we, set out not necessarily sourcing certified gluten-free oats. And for those that don't know, 
Um, oats are naturally gluten-free. Um, it's really in the farming and the milling process where, you know, they're, they're carried next and carried and milled next to barley and, and wheat and rye. Um, cross-contamination is, is almost a certainty in all oat products that you find that aren't specifically labeled gluten-free or certified gluten-free. Um, so that's very important for those that deal with celiac, which coincidentally my girlfriend does. Um, you know, she can't eat any, any trace of gluten or she's sick for a very long time. Um, so that was actually the driving force quite early on to switch to a, you know, certified gluten-free oat product, which of course is more expensive, but overall, um, you know, having, having that, that gluten-free product and being able to offer it to everybody and, you know, not make people sick that might not quite understand, um, the contamination issues with oats that's so prevalent, uh, was, was really important to us early on. And so tell me about how you develop flavors. I mean, is it something, are all these things something you developed in your kitchen at home? I mean, so you launched the products and now you have, I think it's 10 with the new launching of a, uh, a chai it's, uh, latte. It's nine now, actually. That was our ninth flavor. Yeah, nine, nine, nine flavors. Flavor. And uh, so how do you come up with them? When we first started out, we wanted to get some kind of key flavors uh, in oatmeal and in, and in traditional protein shakes. So we let out with green apple cinnamon, strawberries and cream, and chocolate peanut butter banana. Uh, I made these in my kitchen and, you know, tested them with friends. And, um, you know, we, we sourced the, the protein and built it from scratch to really match that flavor profile. Um, but, you know, after that, we learned a little more about, about flavor and flavor profiles. And as the team grew we kind of had a fork, an in-house focus group that grew along with us. So, um, you know, we continued on and released peach upside down cake and caffeinated mocha dream, which we actually make a mocha latte protein powder for that one with real coffee and has 90 milligrams of caffeine. It's delicious. Um, you know, soon after we decided we wanted to, it was ready to launch a plant-based line, which was all dairy free and vegan friendly. And so we developed blueberry cobbler, peanut butter, cookie dough, cacao crunch, and maple pancakes, which is my personal favorite, just released the chai latte flavor, which is our first caffeinated, dairy-free flavor, um, caffeinated from real black tea. And so, really, this the process is it's kind of simple. It's 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 more fun, like kind of like a nights and weekends thing that we do in house. And it's just me whipping up crazy creations and you know testing it on our on our thirty employees. And you know they give the thumbs up or thumbs down, more of this, less of that. And you know once we kind of find a flavor that really knocks it out of the park um, and fits with the schedule, we, we release it. And so that's interesting. I mean, what, I mean, you talked about it a little bit earlier, but how did you decide uh, pea protein versus sort of other uh, vegetable-based proteins that are out there? Um, I don't know the other ones off the top of my head, but I believe soy is one. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of options. And I think, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, discussion around soy and a lot of hesitation, especially with males to, to consume it. Um, we went with pea uh, due to a com near complete amino acid profile and um, really digestibility. Um, also taste. It, it fits the, uh, you know, we did test a lot of them, but this really fits the flavor profile as well. Um, and, you know, of course, we're working with a bunch of new creative uh, options now. Um, if you guys have been to Expo West, you'll see there's, there's always some new uh, popular <laughs> popular ingredients. Um, so we're always, we're always testing, you know, the next thing. And I love that you guys used, um, pea protein because it is something that I'm seeing, we're seeing more of in, 
and sort of I see them meshed with the cashew and almond milks now to add extra protein to the milk. So again, to go back to what I was saying is getting that extra protein we need in our diets. One, because it helps, uh, it helps keep us from being starving all the time because like you said, protein digests slowly, which is one of the cool things. And, and I do a lot of health, health food and health care in, in long-term care homes and sort of stuff like that. But what is actually people are discovering is it's not a matter of how many calories can consume or, or what we're eating. It's how dense the things that we eat are, such as how much actual nutrition do they have in it that keeps us from being hungry? Because the less nutrition, the more we want to eat and the more calories we consume. So, of course, a person's going to eat more at McDonald's or, or something like that uh, because they're less nutritionally dense. And so then you're going to consume more calories. Well, I'm not saying you shouldn't watch your calorie intake. What I am saying is that things like what you're doing and putting the protein in your products, it's another way that's really making the nutrition very, very high on the product, you know. And I said nutritionally dense about McDonald's. I meant nutritionally bankrupt, just to clarify that. As I correct myself, there's a lot of nutritionally bankrupt products. And, you know, they they don't have the things that we need as human beings. And it's a lot of the reason we're overweight is particularly as Americans is we consume a lot of calories because we're hungry all the time, but we're not eating the right things that build that nutritional value that are slow processing, like the proteins, as you mentioned, that make us less hungry and starve off starvation, I guess, if you will. And, um, but so, I mean, you obviously know a little bit about, taking care of yourself and protein and stuff like that. Otherwise you wouldn't have mixed it into the oats and you wouldn't have created this in, in the first place. I mean, so, I mean, do you generally live a healthy lifestyle? Is that, is that as do you believe in what you're doing sort of all the way around in your life? Cause if you work out all the time and you talked about, you know, sitting as a poker player, I've got to imagine you're watching your diet pretty, pretty thoroughly. Yeah, it's crucial. And, and, and backing up even just a little bit, we, we also add a lot of ingredients like flaxseed, uh, chia seed, hemp seed. You know, of course, the fiber content really also assists in keeping you full. It's very high in fiber. Um, you know, there's a lot of other extras in there, too, like maca root. We even use ghirardelli cocoa and lots of, lots of good ingredients for taste in addition to the fruit and all that. But, yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, being, having a healthy diet is really crucial um, at, in poker. I mean, you really focus on your mental state. And it's, of course, it's easy. Everybody flips up. Everybody, you know, is on a road trip and starving, grabs McDonald's at some point and, you know, maybe regrets it later when their stomach's a little upset. But, and, you know, or, or some people eat it every day out of necessity because they have to get to work on time and, you know, they just don't have enough time, you know, at night to sleep. So they're, they're forced to sit in a drive through in the morning and, and just have to grab something. Um, you know, and in some cases, eating some calories is better than none. Um, certainly found myself there before, but I do believe in this product. Uh, it's just a, it's just really the answer to, to many, many, many Americans uh, problem in the morning. It's going you know, to take literally zero minutes in the morning. So it preps itself while you sleep and you grab and go out and eat it in the car. It's uh, not really a better option for breakfast out there. And we're confident in that. Well, and I've read quite a bit of the reviews you guys have had. And just so the audience knows, there's literally 5,843 reviews as I re-record this podcast. And the average, uh, out of five stars is 4.5, which is pretty impressive. I see a lot of five stars, so I'm not sure how it's a little bit lower. Maybe it's the way the matrix works, but everyone loves how easy it is 
um, how quick it is, and then the flavors that are in it. And then I've, I've seen some comments that ex- say exactly what you did. They, people don't snack as much or, or they're get they're fuller longer. And so they're, they're eating better. And as conscious, you're on the run. So you don't have to drive through McDonald's or you don't have to drive through Starbucks or you don't have to sort of compromise your diet when you have something like this to remember. I mean, basically it's my understanding that all I do is basically add water or milk before I go to bed, put it in the fridge and then grab it in the morning. Yeah, water doesn't work, but any milk or milk alternative is great. Like if you want a lighter prep, unsweetened almond milk is only 30 extra calories and it's delicious with the product. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really great, great option. I think, I think Americans today are really focused on three things for breakfast. It's convenience, nutrition, and taste. And, you know, you're almost always sacrificing one for the other two. And so we, we really set out from the beginning to not just have a convenient um, and nutritious product, but also taste, which is why we, you know, like I mentioned about the flavors, we really put a lot of effort into that. All right. So now, I mean, we've talked about the food, the audience knows what it is now. So let's talk about what are the things that you really enjoy about being a food entrepreneur and what are the things that you don't like? Uh, Let's start with the things I enjoy because (laughs) easier. Um, I I definitely love that I'll be out, uh, you know, even at the gym or, you know, really wherever, um, anywhere. And I'll, I'll regularly see people, eating the product and you know of course i'll wear a overnight hat sometimes and you know strangers will come up to me and and you know ask ask about it and you know say that they've been eating it for a year and, and loving it so it's really really truly amazing um to see the impact that it has on other people's lives and you know we get messages every day tons of messages every day like just genuinely thanking us for making the product a lot of great stories weight loss journeys things like this and that that's truly fulfilling like beyond the you know the potential, you know, down road success, um, that, that we're, that we're working for, um, that, that's really, that really keeps us going through the good and the hard times. Um, things that I don't like, uh, I guess it's, it's, you know, <laughs> it's tough. Cause I mean, of course nobody, uh, it, it, it's a, it's a lot of work, you know, and, and I love it. I mean, I, I do love the work, uh, but there is a lot of it and, you know, things always happen. Something always comes up. I mean, when, I'm sure most entrepreneurs can relate to this. Um, you know, you'll have a schedule for the day you wake up and, you know, you have 40 emails in your inbox, uh, you know, five emergencies that totally reshape your schedule. And you know, that's kind of, kind of the day to day. There's a lot going on. Um, and, you know, it's exciting. It, keep, it mixes it up. It keeps it, keeps you on your toes, but it's, it's a lot of work and you really got to focus on, you know, work life balance, which I'm very, um, I'm very into, uh, it's, it's really key to, key to focus on that work-life balance and make sure you're in the correct mind state to be able to, you know, um, quickly and efficiently address concerns and, and make decisions, you know, in a decisive manner, um, and not let yourself, your personal life slip, uh, to where you're not as effective, um, you know, really on the court, so to speak. And so, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, you have employees, you have this business now, I mean, in that you're running, I mean, so every day you're sort of is an adventure, right? As an entrepreneur. And, and I mean, is it as, as exciting as being a poker, a professional poker player, or is there a difference? And I mean, do you miss one versus the other? Cause you've sort of, I believe are now doing this full time. If I understand. That's correct. Yeah. 
and yeah, they, they're they're really night and day. Um, they couldn't be. I mean, there, there are a lot of there are a lot of parallels in personal parallels, I guess, like the the way you think, the rational mindset, um, the way you address uh, success and failures, and how you weight those and and make decisions based on those moving forward. A lot of that is almost exactly the same between um, you know a food entrepreneur and a poker player at a, at a high level. Um, the differences are really, you know, like you mentioned, the team. Uh, poker is very solitary. Um, you, you hold yourself accountable. Um, it's all about, you know, you put more work in off the table, you do better on the table, and you, you just really have to put the work in. Um, you know, it's game theory, it's math, a lot of, a lot of talking about hands and strategy off the table that really ultimately leads to success, um, but it's very internal. With being an entrepreneur, it's, it's you know, it's very team based um, you know you're managing people uh, 30 employees every one of them has a different personality you needed to make sure that they all mesh together um, you need to make sure that everybody's happy and getting what they want uh, you know uh, out of the job and you know out of that um, you know culture that we've built and so managing that is, is a total difference um, from poker I mean I love it it's been a it's been three years of learning um, and I you know plan to continue learning until you know, we finished, but it's, it's been a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of new information and, and quite the experience. And I mean, it's just so cool what you guys are doing. I mean, I love the marketing and stuff like that. So, and you mentioned you're sort of a, basically a social media marketing company as well as a food company. And I mean, how do you handle that? I mean, I, your photos on social media are phenomenal. I mean, it's something you guys obviously focus on. Um, so, I mean, how did you decide that such an emphasis needed to be played on that? Is it someone you brought in or is it something you guys sort of decided as you were starting the business? Because I think you're doing something just such on a high professional level. Yeah, so I, from start, uh, the ads and all of that is managed, um, you know, by us. Um, I still do most of the management of Facebook. Uh, well, really, all of the all of the Facebook campaigns and targeting and things like this. And that's really where a lot of another, um, I guess, as we bring it up, a lot of another place where a lot of skills translate. Um, dealing with statistics and analytics, uh, which you know is really heavy in poker. Um, so that really translates nicely to to Facebook ads and and ca- digital campaigns. Um, as it relates to the creative, um, we always saw creative, especially being online, um, you know, your Instagram profile, your uh, website, um, that experience the customer gets when they interact with your brand at any place really is your storefront. I mean, that's the storefront of a brick and mortar store. It's how they feel when they come in, um, how they're treated, uh, you know, if they have a question um, or a concern, um, you know, that, that really, that, that's really key. I mean, if you're, if you're a storefront, you know, a place where people wouldn't necessarily want to shop or certainly eat, um, you're not going to get or retain a lot of customers. So we really, we really focus on that experience uh, from start to finish, um, you know, with, with praises and problems, we make sure that the customer feels valued and, you know, really has a good experience and sometimes they'll laugh while they're there. And one of the things I actually love about what you guys are doing is, is that it, one, you're going out and touching the consumers and, and really reaching out to them. But the way you're marketing, that it's that's not only the protein aspect of it, um, which I mean, when you when Olivia reached out to me for you guys to be on the podcast, and I looked at it and I saw the protein, and I and then I saw I'm like, oh well, 
you know, how much is this going to cost? Because in my mind, I, I see what the supplement companies charge for something like this. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, it's going to be like 10 ish dollars probably and then i see what you guys are doing and i'm like oh 16 dollars whoa okay so it's higher than i thought but then i realized that's a four pack and so it's four dollars for this thing that you take to go which has more um volume than your typical breakfast and you're you can take it with you anywhere you go and it has the protein so the pricing strategy on that i think is awesome too and that includes shipping and taxes and sort of gets it out there. So, I mean, what were your thoughts behind that pricing scheme? Because I love the way it is from a marketing standpoint. Yeah, of course. And I think um, price, is, price is an interesting topic here because um, I've talked to other, other friends that have CPG businesses. And, you know, people always complain about price. Um, but, you know, whether, you're, <laughs> whether we, you feel it's priced well or, you know, or not, um, there's always... There's always Complaints, and I think with us, we've we've kind of won up against plain oats. I mean, a lot of people comment in the ads, you know, I can get a tub of Quaker for two bucks. I mean, of course, the plain oats are very cheap. It's it's a, it's a piece of our product, and you know, we source certified gluten free oats and all that. But you know, there's really you know 20 plus other ingredients across these flavors um, that are very premium. Um, you know, things like maca root, vanilla bean, um, you know, all the, the different seeds, and and of course the proteins and. And many, many other, and many other ingredients, um, that really make that value there. And yeah, we, it gets as low as 314 for breakfast for, with our subscription, our 24 pack subscription. And that includes delivery, which is another thing a lot of consumers don't get, especially in the Amazon era, um, where, you know, you're fighting against free next day shipping. Um, it's, it's a tough, uh, a tough battle to win. Uh, but you, we, we priced it, I guess to answer your question, we didn't, we, we had a lot of thought around price because, you know, we launched a product that wasn't really, available on the market. I mean, of course, you can make something like this at home, um, but we really wanted to be cheaper than, you know, a breakfast sandwich at Starbucks. We wanted to be right in that range where, you know, customers that want a little a healthier healthier breakfast uh, that's even more convenient than a drive-thru because it's ready when you wake. Um, we wanted to really have, you know, knock out of the park and, and ensure that customers would find it a good value when they compare it to the other convenient options on the market. And, uh, yeah, that's, so that's why we set out with that, that near $3 price point. And I actually love that because I did notice that once you start getting up to the bigger pack sizes, it's a benefit. Now, so do you guys sell wholesale or is it only you, the only place they can buy it is online from you guys? Right now, we're entirely direct consumer. Um, so we, we do work with Amazon pretty heavily um, and we sell on our site, OatsOvernight.com. Um, so that's really the the focus right now, and we've had it, we've been reached out to by a lot of uh, a lot of big retailers, and you know eventually we'll move into brick and mortar. Um, that's that's you know an eventual plan for us, uh, but we really want to take our time and develop those relationships right now with the customers. So I think once you once you kind of set it out into the world and you know start selling distributors and getting into retail, you really lose touch with that feedback and you lose touch with that customer. And we're still learning every day um, from comments. And, you know, we take all these comments very seriously. We talk about a lot of them internally. You know, it comes up regularly in our meetings. And, you know, we're, we're pretty nimble. We, we can shift and we can launch new flavors that our customers love. And, you know, we, we, we really like the, the, the time that we're in right now where we can get that feedback in a direct sense and uh, really understand the customer. But when we're ready, we will, we will move to brick and mortar. One of the things I love about about what you're doing in direct to consumers, you actually own your own customers. 
um, where I feel like sometimes with brick exactly. and mortar and things like that, they own the customers. Or even with Amazon, it's a little bit hard because I feel like Amazon owns the customers sometimes in, in the businesses that I'm involved in. And it's an interesting thing. But one of the things I loved, and you mentioned earlier, is that you use Shopify, which which I use as well on, on, on our uh, direct-to-consumer brands. And it's because, I don't know, I found it easy. It's just something that happened five years ago. Someone suggested it. But I really, there's a difference to me in being able to contact and have the relationship with my own customers versus when I deal with brick and mortars or I deal with institutions that sort of there's a couple steps in between my products and the end consumers. And it makes it hard to control your brand a little bit and what it means for the consumers. But I mean, like you said, the only way to truly grow eventually is you do have to be in brick and mortar so people can buy the stuff off the shelf. So it creates an interesting dilemma. But I do really love your packaging, and I love the logo, and I love how simple it is. I mean, oats overnight is literally just a saying, and I actually love that it's such a, a simple brand, and it's the packaging is so simple, and it's and it's easy to read, and it's color-coded, which I love color-coding. And I love that it sort of tells you what's in there, and I even love the one unique one, which is the peach upside-down cake that sort of has taken the logo and flipped it upside-down. And, yeah, and, and just to market it. And I think it's just, it's funny and it's marketing. But I mean, how did you come up with it? I mean, was it always your idea to keep it as simple as possible? Or I mean, was it something you had to do because the packaging restricted how much you could put on there? I mean, I'm really interested because I'm like, it's just, it's so simple and it's so straightforward. Yeah, I think I think when developing a brand, um, it's, it's important for the founder and, you know, the, the early team to really develop something that's true to them. Uh, you know, when you look at another a brand that comes to mind is RX Bar with Peter Rahal, uh, the whole, you know, ingredients on the front of the package, no BS, uh, you know, it's genius. And it was, it was, it was at the time that that started, of course, many brands have adopted that structure um, with, with the, you know, the very forward facing ingredients, uh, some packaging. It, it, it really reflects uh, um, Peter, Peter's personality. Um, it's important to stay true to yourself when you're doing that. And um, it, it really ensures that the brand will be received uh, if, if that is done well. Um, you know, it, and, and I think when it relates to Oats Overnight, um, you know, this is really my style. It's clean. It's simple. Um, it's, 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 you know, it's a beautiful package and it's a complex product, but you wouldn't necessarily know it at first glance. But, you know, when you start to look at the nutrition label and the ingredients, and, you know, the value offering that we've created, um, it, it's just a, it's a great experience all around. Well, and I actually love that. And I got to tell you, my my household eats probably about six RX bars a day between the, the four <laughs> yeah. of us in here because they're simple, they're easy to use, they're clean labeled. And, you know, there's different varieties. So I love that it's sort of the same idea. And I actually think what you're doing is is pretty awesome because you can grab it it's by the one pack it's like an rx bar and that you said but it is so simple and it makes so much sense the way it's being marketed i really i think you guys are doing a great job for what my opinion's worth and i appreciate that and i'm just like you're really i mean you guys are really on to something i encourage anyone in the audience to really take a look at this and i haven't tried the product yet but i'm I'm willing to bet it's good because of all the reviews. I mean, they speak for themselves. So 
I'm going to try it. I'm going to, you know, now it's just matter what flavors are. Do I want one of every flavor? Because I've got to try everything. That's the type of human being I am. I, I want a little of everything. But it's, um, it's pretty cool. And, I mean, what are, what does the future hold for you? I mean, I mean, more oats flavor, more oats overnight flavors, obviously. But, I mean, really, I mean, if you could take a second right now and just say, what are your goals for the future for your company and, and where are you hoping to be? And are there other products you eventually hope to introduce? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, what started out as uh, admittedly a side project many years ago now, um, has really turned into a passion and, you know, I've, I love, I love food. I love the food space. Uh, once you're, you know, really once you're in the mix on anything, you kind of look around and especially when you have that entrepreneur mindset, you see a lot of opportunity everywhere. And I think that's what's happened with our, our team and our core team. Um, you know, breakfast is a category that's gotten very, very little development really over the last 50 years. Um, you know, people are still homemaking oatmeal and, uh, you know, eating cereal really less and less, of course, but it's still, it's still a staple. Um, and you see things like meal, meal replacement shakes and, uh, powdered meals kind of um, taking market share in breakfast more and more. And that's really just due to the convenience. Uh, you know, they're typically a little cleaner label, a little healthier, and they're convenient. So customers eat them. Um, but the direction really for Oats Overnight uh, and certainly for the, the overall idea and brand is, you know, we're, we're going to continue to release, first off, great new flavors, um, likely different offerings, uh, you know, both seasonal and and, and mainstay products that, you know, are just functional breakfast products. And, um, you know, really eventually the goal here is to, to build a, you know, more functional, uh, better for you, almost tech forward Quaker um, that ultimately is a, a breakfast staple for Americans. Well, and one of the other things is that I think like corporate America, a lot of people now provide breakfast snacks and stuff for lunch for their their employees and it's we're seeing this trend sort of happen and there's more corporate stuff going on or people bringing food trucks to their offices and things like that 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 I've learned from this podcast as well I've seen it with my own eyes and and being in the food business we feed all of our employees while they're on the job but it's it's cool because I feel like it's a better option than just having a thing of oatmeal in your office or a thing of oatmeal there to use um and i understand it needs to soak and things like that but you know if i were an employee i you know before i left work i would make my thing put it in my shaker bottle or blender bottle and leave it there overnight and then just have it there for me in the morning when i arrived at work if i'm a person that didn't eat at home i mean i wouldn't even worry about it and i think that for companies offering that as an option i think you're getting your employees to work you're providing them food when they get there, you know, for less than $4 if you buy the bigger packs. And your your employees are being more efficient by coming to work and eating at work. So, I mean, there's this whole spin on marketing and play that I really just think is totally awesome and, and so much potential and where people will actually grab onto it. I mean, that's where it appeals to me. It's like, okay, you know, people can eat at work now. They can put their thing in the fridge overnight and arrive the next day and it's there for them and they can eat it you know, at their desk or, or before they get on the job and be more efficient at their, at their work. So I think that's cool. And the other part I love about it as someone who, you know, tr spends at least 90 minutes a day working out is that 
um, just for That's impressive. Just, by the way. <laughs> just for my mental fortitude. That includes walking. I try to do like forty-five minutes of, of walking outdoors, but it um, it's where I don't have a lot of time, you know. And I try to eat as clean as possible, you know, and and, and watch what I put into my body. And and I travel a lot for work, and it makes it hard to bring anything with me. You know, if I pack a cooler, like I'll carry this cooler around with me, which I'm that guy at the airport, by the way. And I'll have like my chicken and my t- turkey and, and my whole stuff. But if I can just like, you know, I can pack these in my suitcase, you know, I can, I can put them in there. And, and if I'm going to the office or I'm at a hotel, I can literally get the milk from the hotel or, or the almond milk from the hotel and put it in there and let it soak overnight. And then I can go first thing in the morning. I don't have to, you know, wait. And I, you know, a lot of those free breakfasts that are at the hotel, the eggs have, you know, a lot of cream in them or the, you know, there's just bacon or there's not a lot of healthy options and the oatmeal is there, but you know, it's plain oatmeal, number one. And number two, it's the ingredients and stuff you put in there. You don't know you know, how they're sourced and things like that. And as a person that's conscious about those things, this makes it so much easier for me. You know, now I just got to worry about carrying extra blender bottles just for this. Cause I already carry a bunch as it is. And it's, it's pretty cool. And I really like what you're doing and, and how it appeals and it can appeal to the traveling American. It can appeal to a kid going to school, it can appeal to a person who's working out you know, that it doesn't have to be just breakfast, really. I mean, this is something I could eat for lunch, I could eat for dinner, it doesn't matter, as long as I make sure I soak it for a long period of time. It doesn't necessarily have to be overnight. And so now my options are like, okay, it can be any time I need a meal replacement. And I need that protein, and I just need something healthy, and I don't have a lot of time on my hands. But as long as I I prep my food anyway, so this isn't very difficult. Right, and it's it's actually uh, good to eat. I mean, we recommend a minimum of four hours in the fridge. Um, of course, some, I mean, we we've heard everything from customers though. Some some mix it with, you know, four ounces of milk, stir it up, and eat it in an hour, and it's a little crunchier. Uh, it, there's a lot of flexibility here with the package. Um, it's good for up to 36 hours in the fridge as well. So, you know, when I when I was making this at home uh, back in 2015. Uh, it was really, it wasn't really an overnight thing necessarily. I would just put it in the fridge whenever I didn't have one and it would be ready whenever I needed it. So sometimes that was, it wasn't always breakfast. Sometimes it was a post-workout meal um, or even a dinner if I was crunched for time. And, you know, I generally, generally lean toward mornings and, and afternoons, but you know, it's, it's a really an nutritionally complete meal that's ready when you are. And that's, that's the big, the big value piece there. And we do sell, um, when I say we don't do wholesale, uh, we don't, we don't, we're not in distribution or anything, but we do sell to a lot of, um, like office spaces, work, workplaces, um, you know, car dealerships, uh, schools, even, um, athletic programs. We do a lot of that, but it's handled in a direct sense. Um, you know, it's not, it's not done through distributor. So, um, and it is, it is, it is great for efficiency. Um, uh, back to your point, our, I'd say our office is probably the most efficient around, uh, nobody's late. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you don't have to worry about someone else delivering your product and stuff like that. If you're controlling the process and you're not dealing with a distributor or a broker or whoever, you know, it's all on you, which I like as well. I don't, I don't have any problems with distributors or brokers, but personally, you know, I like it when I source the food, I package the food and I ship the food, you know, and if I have to use a third party to ship the food, I like being the one who ships it 
because I can ensure it all the way to the end. That doesn't mean I do it that way every time. Let's keep that in mind because I have to deal with what <laughs> right. the clients want. But it's um but it is one of those things that I think is just truly special about your model. And I think the fact that you were able to build it in the way you have, which is totally modern, which is totally the way businesses are right now. Like, you know, people don't realize that people go to market and then worry about the social media or the advertising and all that. And then they're like, well, why am I, you know, why am I sitting on all this product I had produced and, or my factory or, or my production facility? And you're, and you're like, well, in today's age, the way we need to build and market our companies is we actually need to get ahead of it before we produce a single beverage or a single piece of food or a single supplement or nutritional item because launching a product right now, the only way to really get in front of people is social media and, and those type of advertising and having a website and having a presence. So before you ever spend the money on the actual product, it's like you need to spend the money on building that following, which it's gotten a little harder with Facebook changing its algorithms and Instagram changing their algorithms. But like you said, there is a way to do it. You just have to pay for it, which is not much different than the traditional advertising. It's just the message is getting delivered in a different way. And you still have to pay and for it. Absolutely. And I mean, attribution is, is much easier to, to see with Facebook ads. I mean, um, you know, when you put a radio ad up or, you know, TV commercial or even like billboards, um, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of in the dark there. Uh, it's, it's really difficult to decide, you know, if you have, um, you know, one radio show, one radio commercial in some network, uh, you don't know if it, how do you know if it did well? Um, how would you get to the point where you scale that to 50? You know, you really need to be confident when you're scaling those. And that's, that's where Facebook's great is you see what works, what doesn't, you know, you test everything, um, you know, creative, different copy, uh, you know, how you, how you engage, even in the comments, like the tone that you have uh, when you're speaking to customers and, you know, how you represent your brand, um, you, you test that stuff and you kind of find out what doesn't work first, of course, and then you hopefully stumble upon what does. And, you know, when you do, you see the results. And when you see those results, that's how you get to scale it. And that's really um, kind of the process there uh, we're, we're, that is lacking in other other channels like Billboard or things like this. Uh, it's it, it, difficult to confidently scale that and especially when you're bootstrapped of course that's that's crucial no and i agree with that 100 percent. having the analytics at your fingertips to actually read things on the fly is pretty amazing i mean even if if an ad's not doing well you can literally turn it off and stop spending the money you aren't committed we're with a billboard you're committed for that time period no matter what so i i find that stuff interesting um but so if you could go back to, you know, when you started this in 2016 and tell yourself anything that you wish you knew then that you knew now, what would it be? Um, I think, I think there's a lot of, a lot of really little things, um, that we got distracted on. I think, uh, the biggest thing would just be trust your instincts, um, especially if you are the one that developed the product or the service or what you're offering, uh, really just stay true to yourself and what you're trying to build. Uh, there's going to be a million people in your ear, you know, giving advice and saying, you should do this. Look at this company. They did that. This worked. This didn't. Um, you know, I think, I think looking back, we, we, we listened to everybody in the beginning. And I don't, I don't necessarily think that's a mistake. We learned faster, but, you know, we made a lot, we went down a lot of dead end roads um, that, you know, looking back, I think I probably felt that they weren't worth the time or, you know, in some case, a lot of cases weren't worth the time. But we did it just to explore 
And, you know, by nature, I test everything. So I think I'm not sure that I could have done that differently, but, you know, it certainly took up a lot of bandwidth and in some cases a lot of money um, going down roads that, you know, we didn't have a lot of faith in, um, both for marketing and, um, you know, development, a lot of, lot of different things. Um, you know, we, we weren't really efficient or as efficient as I'd like to have been with, with time and money. Yeah, I, I actually agree with that a lot in my own experience. I didn't think about it until you actually said it. No one's actually brought it up on the podcast before. But there is a lot of, one, you want people's advice. You want to learn and, and you want to move forward. But you end up sometimes chasing a lot of rabbits down a lot of rabbit holes that, one, aren't profitable or wasteful. And, I mean, you almost have to make the mistakes and fail to learn the lesson and learn from it. But on an other hand... Um, I think there's a part of what works for other people doesn't necessarily work for you or the brands that you're building or the products you're building, which, you know, here exactly. or there, I mean, I don't know if there's a right answer other than just going through it. You know, that's the, the thing as a food entrepreneur, I feel like you have to do is you just have to go through it and you have to learn and you have to find your own way because no two people's paths are the same. And I think it's so important. For sure. And, uh, yeah, and I think I think to clarify, sorry to clarify, I think really it's who you listen to, who's giving that advice. I mean, of course there are going to be there's going to be advice that might have been well intended that doesn't work out, and you know a lot of that, a lot of that's fine, but you just need to filter that with with like efficiency in mind, and um, you know not 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 go down every single road, maybe pick seventy percent of them. You know what I mean, it's a, and, and really really pick and choose who who's giving you that advice. Like, have they done it before? Have they had a personal experience or? Or is it something they just saw or read, um, you know, read one time in a, in a blog? <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. And and it's hard sometimes to, to filter some of that. And I agree with that 100%. I think um, particularly since it's a podcast, I will, I will mention this, is that I have a lot of people that come to me or, or want to be mentored or whatever. And they, they've listened to one podcast or another and they have all this advice and things that have been given to them. And, you know, I'm like, has the person actually ever been an entrepreneur or are they giving you advice as an entrepreneur? Because I can tell you that as fluff and great as that sounds, that's not really been my experience. And I'm not saying it's wrong. It's just not my experience. And, you know, you know, there's a lot of things like that that I think that are out there and with information being so easily available. And again, where social media also helps a business and also can go against your business not only in negative reviews, but if you start to listen too much and do too much research and not really filter it, like you said, appropriately, it can lead you down the wrong path for sure. For sure. And especially on social media, there's this kind of element of, you know, the vocal minority um, where, you know, you get a lot of people that might be, you know, screaming something in one direction and you'd think, wow, should I change the brand? Like, should we do this instead? Should I pivot that way? But, you know, if you do the research and you kind of really look at that from a from a 10,000 foot view and, you know, how big is that concern or how, um, you know, is that person really my customer? Because that's another big one is a lot of people, especially again on social, they they like to, you know, speak negative or, you know, but, you know, there's going to be negative people everywhere. And you look at YouTube comments, it's, it's pretty tragic. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, you got to really know your customer as well and, and stay true to that in addition. Yeah, I can agree with that more. I think that's part of it, is knowing who, what your brand is and 
you're not going to, and if you really want a new brand and you're doing something hip and new, what everyone else has done isn't going to work for you because if you're trying to disrupt and create something new or, or whatever, I mean, you're doing something totally different with, with oatmeal basically. And that whole thing, it doesn't fit into where everyone else has been. It has to be something that, you know, you can learn from the past. Don't get me wrong, but it's something that you have to really launch and be your own person and own business and find your own identity and, and be true to who you are as an entrepreneur because it reflects you and go out there and do it. Exactly. And so Brian, I, I want to have you back on the show cause I have a lot more questions and things I want to go over. So I'd, I'd really like to have you on as a part two, but before we go, um, is there anything that you just want to share with the audience or, or about your products or things that, you know, you came on the podcast that you wanted everyone to know or, uh, you know, if you could scream it out to the world? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, the biggest thing is just, um, you know, pay attention, pay attention to what you're eating and how it affects your, you know, your physical state, your mental state. Um, that's another, another great experience with poker is, you know, you're sitting at a table, you're in your own head for many, many hours at a time. Um, you know, almost seven days a week, uh, you see how these little things, uh, kind of affect your mindset and, you know, how, how physical issues, uh, can translate to mental issues and, and how closely linked they are. And so I think, I think really, um, being introspective in that way and understanding how, you know, most importantly, your diet fits into that. Um, you know, does that put you in a bad mood because, you know, you eat something unhealthy or you're hungry in the morning or whatever, um, you know, really, really just kind of examine that. And uh, that that's really brought me a long way, not just professionally, but personally. Um, and, you know, really kind of fine tuned um, that piece of it and ultimately leads to a happier life. So I think uh, that'd be my one piece of uh, a thought for the, for the day. <laughs> well, and, and thank you again. And, and I will, get back with you because I'd love to get a part two recorded right away and get that on there because I have so many more questions and thoughts and, and really want to dive in deeper to some of the details we've mentioned and really explore each one of your products as well and, and sort of talk about them so the audience knows about them. Um, but that being said, thank you everyone for listening in. This is Justin, the Food Entrepreneurs Podcast. Again, I'm Justin Bizarro. If you like what we're doing, reach out to us at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs on Facebook and Instagram. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Thank you, Justin.